Hello and welcome. I'm Jody Carlton and your host today. I'm neurotypical, which means I'm not autistic, but I've spent my entire life in relationships loving people who are autistic. Moreover, I've spent the majority of my career educating about autism and helping couples bridge the gap in neurodiverse relationships. But this podcast is for you. It's a place to talk with me, to share your struggles, talk to me about your wins, your challenges, your victories, and also hear from other professionals who really get it and understand you. So what will we talk about today? Hello, and welcome to the show. We had some really amazing feedback after our first episode last week. So if you missed that, be sure and go back and listen. And don't forget to subscribe so that you don't miss out on all the great conversations that we're having here. And I'd love to have you as a guest on the show. The uh, link to book a recorded chat is in the description of every episode. So if you are a partner of someone who is autistic, or maybe you suspect that your partner's autistic, or maybe you're a professional who works in this space, I want to talk to you. So book a call with me. Let's, let's do it. Today, I have uh, a guest on the show that I'll introduce here in a little bit, who is a member of my Facebook group. So we have a great conversation to share with you today. But first, I want to just talk a little bit about discovering that our, our partner is autistic, or maybe you're the one that's just now starting to think about maybe you're the one who's autistic. Our guest is going to share with you about what that's been like for her and her husband, their journey on that. And this is a question that comes up a lot in the Q&As that I've done on YouTube and in my Facebook group for the last several years. I get emails a lot about when is it normal or typical to realize that a partner's on the spectrum when you're dating or been married. So I've answered this a good bit. So I'm actually going to queue up here the audio from a Q&A live that I did on YouTube for you. And then we'll head right in from that to my chat with the special guest where she's also going to talk about that a bit. I was married to someone for 19 years and I did not realize that he was on the spectrum, even though I was a licensed therapist. I did not realize he was on the spectrum after we were divorced and, and our daughter had been diagnosed on the spectrum. It wasn't until several years later that I really started putting two and two together. I'm working with a couple right now who have been married for 40 years and they're realizing he's on the spectrum. In my generation, what we understood about autism, we didn't really think of our partners, our spouses as autistic because we thought of it as more of these individuals who who couldn't have jobs and careers and, and live by themselves. So that's one of the reasons why we didn't recognize it. And so for those of you who are, who have been in these long marriages for decades, you know, it, you may just now be figuring out, but unless you are already pretty familiar or you've had a reason to learn about autism or Asperger's, but you had to really already have heard of it and know about it for you to recognize it. So when you meet someone and you're, you're dating them, you may, you may start to realize there's something different. There's something quirky. There's something unusual. There have been television shows now that feature Asperger's. And so if you've seen any of those with characters, some of them are way stereotyped and it's too much. They're over the top, but some of them are a little bit closer to accurate. So if you've seen any of those and you start to recognize those traits, then you might recognize it sooner rather than later. Um, 
so today I'd like to welcome a guest here. And I believe that you said that you are a member of, of my Facebook group. So I'm just going to let you introduce yourself and just share with our listeners just a little bit about your situation. And then we'll have a chat about what you're here to talk to me about today. So I'm just going to turn it over to you. Lovely. Thanks, JD. Um, yeah, I, found, I first found you when I was looking on your website and that it described a situation of a woman coming into a sort of a therapist situation, trying to work out what was going on and the different sort of ways that she presented and the struggles that she had. And it just, the whole thing resonated so much with me. It, I just thought, gosh, someone's seen my life. And uh, I've been married for 21 years now. And it's come up a few times over the years and first sort of yes, and then denying. And then my husband sort of said, oh yes, uh, well, probably am actually about three years ago. And I've also been diagnosed with ADHD, so I think we're quite interesting. We have a, we've always had challenges communicating, but he's also away a lot. As I told you, he's in the military. We've spent long periods apart, which I don't think helps any relationship. Certainly, it's been quite a challenge for us with with two children as well growing up. So yeah, I came to you really because I, we're a bit stuck. We, we, we've sort of stuck, we've stopped the worst of the destruction. I, I can see now from looking at some of your uh, crack the code. The, the first few um, sessions is first stop the damage. I've been really trying to do that, trying not to follow him down the rabbit hole um, to sort of just stop things and trying to recognize when he just needs space and to try not to take things personally. But, but yeah, we are a bit stuck. <laughs> yeah. Stuck. So, so circling back a little bit, because I want to speak to what you just said about first stopping the damage. So I'm going to, I'm going to just insert that there. So remind me to come back to that, but I wanted to just go back and you said that you have a, a couple of children and, and you had shared with me that you have, I think you have teenage daughters. How was it that the two of you, and I think it would be helpful to share with listeners. How was it that the two of you came to this awareness that he is on the spectrum? <laughs> It's a funny one because when my daughters were very small, he once apparently walked up to a friend of mine when we were chatting and said, well, I've got, yeah, I'm on the spectrum. And apparently we both just laughed at him and went, oh, no, that's true. And this is years ago when the children were very small. And then it, that was it. We never, ever spoke about it again for years and years. And then my older daughter was, I say, inadvertently diagnosed. We weren't even really looking. She seemed to be doing very well, but she was diagnosed as really quite autistic strongly autistic and then everything fell into place and she herself was not at all surprised because she had wondered about it but never shared it with us and I suppose that started a whole voyage of discovery for our family diversity and so it then became more acceptable for him it, it had been frowned upon in the British military to say that you were it, it, it wasn't acceptable having a kind of you know, neurological difference and then one, someone quite senior came out in the press saying that yes it actually was it was okay. And actually the, the military is full of people who are very focused, have very strong special interests, very good at detail, um, very open and honest. And actually those people were really valuable in the military. And that seemed to give permission for- That's interesting. For you know, that's mm. interesting that you share that because my ex-husband was in the military and I've shared that I realized after my marriage ended that I see very clearly that he's on the spectrum and he thrives yes. in that military setting. Um, yes, that's really interesting. Yes. And I can see how that would be a very good environment. And, and I'm, and I'm glad to hear that. I didn't know that about the British military and I, di I didn't know that someone had spoken out and, and that, that, that it's recognized now as something as a, a, some, a skill or, or an asset really. And it was quite, I mean, I guess we're shifting all the time, aren't we? In, in different ways of recognition, but it was quite, a, certainly for us, it was quite a watershed moment that this man, senior man came out publicly saying this. And I think it does then give permission and it does change the way people 
view themselves and their talents and their challenges. And then following on from he did a test again and having had the last test being very negative, which I think as my friend said, well, he was surely cheating. Mm-hmm. The next term he came up quite positively as Asperger's and he's got an amazing mind, but I think he does find communication different. We certainly do things differently. We certainly like different things, different environments. Yeah. And we thrive in different places. So this is our challenge. Um, right. <laughs> as a couple, we don't have that much in common apart from our 21 years experience. Um, right. Right. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about that because you said you were stuck and I, and I, I will just say back to how you discovered it. So many of my couples that come to me and, and even back when I was still doing in, in the clinical realm, before I did this worldwide coaching that I do now, I had parents, I even had grandparents and I still do. I still have grandparents mm. come to me when a, a child or a grandchild has been diagnosed. And oftentimes that, that happens in the school setting now. And then parents and grandparents are saying, Hey, hold on. I recognize this. And I even had someone email me this week that said, um, she had been arguing with her physician, her pediatrician, who was saying that her her daughter's on the spectrum. And she's like, no, 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 no. I I do those same things. And the physician (laughs) looked at her and said, well, you are too. I thought you knew. And she's what? (laughs) Yes. You realize that. So this is how it comes about for Mm. the realization hits us as adults. A lot of times. Maybe you're here today because you suspect your partner's autistic, or maybe you're autistic yourself, or maybe you just don't know, and you don't really know what to do next. And that's exactly what my basic consultation is for. I do offer assessments for individuals and couples, but if you're not ready for all of that, you can book a consultation appointment with me and we'll talk about your current situation, whether that's a relationship you're in, or if you're dating and, and single and, and don't really understand why your relationships don't ever work out, or maybe you can't even get them started, we'll talk about all of that. So book a basic consultation appointment with me today, and we'll get you some clarity. The link is in the description. So let's talk about you and your husband, because you talk, you, you talked a lot about, you've had a lot of distance and, and separation in your life because of his career. And now you are, is he out of the military now? No, he has a couple more years to go still, and he's sort of in his probably the sort of the final posting he'll be doing, and that's a typical one for him. He's away during the week and can be back at weekends. As I told you, I'd, um, so we, I thought we should have a trial separation, but actually physically that hasn't changed things on the ground for us. He still comes back each weekend, and my younger daughter's at home still. And uh, I think it's important that we try and keep things communicating, but. But it's that sort of, where do we go from here? Because I do think we do a lot of things that we share and value together, but it's we also have an awful lot of baggage and a lot of stuff that we've done over the years, which has not been helpful. And, and under a lot of pressure, when you're in situations with a lot of pressure lots of going on in life, it doesn't really help <laughs> so in any way, does it? It doesn't help any couple communicating. And, and it certainly doesn't help a couple who are approaching things with a very different understanding of the world I and mean, that's it's looking at some of your things when I I read the one about he feels attacked and undervalued and and I feel not listened to and I think well that's that's just us right that, and that, that's still how we're approaching things right so okay you guys are in that first phase of realizing what's been going on here and so you in the last few years you've realized okay autism is a piece of this puzzle of why we've had these issues why this has been such a struggle and so now the next phase that you're in is redefining who we are to each other and what this means and how do we go forward? And you mentioned the, the trial separation, but really you said it hasn't changed tangibly how you see each other physically, but it's more of a mindset shift of mentally a re 
structuring in your mind of who we are to each other, how we're going to move forward. So really what I tend to see happens with couples at this point and, and what I would encourage you to do, you mentioned, first of all, to minimize the conflict. And you did say that that has, you said, I think you said, stop the damage. I'm using the words minimize the Mm -hmm. conflict. Yeah. That is absolutely the first step. And I was just on a call with a couple yesterday and I, I call it being in the boxing ring. That's one of my terms I use a lot when the, the damage is really happening and, and couples are in an, in an antagonistic place in their marriage. And there's a lot of hurting, damaging yes. <laughs> things happening. It's you're not on the same team to use a military analogy. You are on opposite sides of that war and, and you're in a war together. And yes, oh, totally. It's, totally. It's, and it can start off with something like, you know, loading the dishwasher and it ends up being a massive battle, as you say, about entire life things that sort of encompasses all sorts of much bigger stuff and yeah. then as you say it really does some damage and it's and it, the escalation is so fast um, it, from, yes you know, yes. could you do this or would you help out with that and, woof, and yes all of a sudden we're in a different zone but we have I think at least if we get there try to step back a little bit so we don't carry on going into that one because that's a very unhelpful place to be And that's why I start the communication uh, program that I have. You mentioned crack the communication code, which is what I found to be really fundamental for couples to get moved through this process, because the very first step in that program is called battle busters. And I don't know how far you've gotten into the program, but the very first step is to, to start minimizing the damage. It's to stop the the hemorrhage. Yes. That's that's where, that's where I got it from. I I did get it from your uh your presentations because it's exactly that and does it matter how important is this in the big scheme of things is this right. what we're really both working towards or not and it right. usually isn't exactly <laughs> so, yeah so as you move through that program it actually takes you all the way through all the stages of communication so let me just share it takes you through the stages of communication that we go through every time we interact with our, our partner and even every time we interact with anybody at all And so this is applicable for you, even with your children, because you've got a neurodiverse household, Mm. uh, but anybody really, it walks you through every single stage of communication. And the first one is, is what we bring to every interaction. And that's our beliefs, our goals, our values, our personalities, our, our brains. Are we neurodiverse? Are we neurotypical? Just everything, our DNA, our, everything, our relationship history, our personal history, our background, we're bringing all of that to every single communication it's it's all packaged up and, and yeah and that's like our suitcases that we're bringing to our interaction yes and they've got quite heavy they are quite <laughs> heavy and that's why we call it baggage mm, absolutely so we bring baggage to every single interaction so mm. we have to be aware of what we're bringing to all those interactions and then stage two of an interaction is how we actually communicate and how we interact so that that has so many layers to it are we talking are we texting? Are we on a phone call? Those are the basics. But then what words do we use? What tone do we use? When do we approach? Do we approach in a way that that's easy to receive? So we look at that. And also, are we approaching in a way that we're then willing to listen to a response? Are we approachable in that interaction? Or are we Mm -hmm. just, is it a one way or is it two? So that's stage two, but then stage three, is one of the the most, all of these stages are very impactful, but stage three is the meaning. And this is where couples like you 
it's this is huge because the the meaning we assign to all of those interactions basically sets our narrative which is stage four so stage four is how we remember this is what we remember about our interactions and how we it's the narrative of our relationship it's the narrative that we have of our partner Mm-hmm. And so the meaning that we take from all those interactions, it's what it meant to us, how we assessed it. What did that mean about how he feels about me or what she thinks about me? Was I criticized? Was I judged? Was I rejected? Was I loved? Was I cared for? So this is all a key thing for us. We've, we've gone away from these things big time with some very big messages that probably aren't helpful. I'm sure you're aware that people have um, ADHD, they often the place where they might have rejection sensitivity dysmorphia yes. we we're so much into everything and reanalyze stuff and go over it again and come out feeling and needing reassurance he always used to say to me you're so needy you need reassurance and I'm thinking well I'm just normal I get on with the bills but with you I find it hard and and I can see that it hasn't helped us at all because he just puts it right behind him straight away which I find incredibly hurtful yes and yeah this I'm sure we don't have these anymore but I'm sure other people out there have mentioned it on your Facebook page it's sulks that would go on for days the yes. entire weekend when he was home from his posting and it's just such a we're both frustrated at the waste of it but it's very hard to get over that and stop doing it that way you yes. know taking yes. a positive thing from an interaction and, and almost be more aware of the process than the actual words because the process is the one that really is throwing it every time the cycle that that you just described is exactly mm. so similar to what i hear so often in yes that the re- rejection sensitive dysmorphia is you have the adhd but this is such a common coupling okay so we don't pick people randomly uh, let me just say no that. i know this is we, we pick our partners for a reason and it's and if it doesn't kill you, makes you makes you stronger. But my word is it hard work going through it. Yeah, Tell right. Me. And and oftentimes it it is based on our dysfunction. The things that we're trying to heal are the or the things that are our struggles are very directly related to who we pick and who we end up with. And so this is part of our own healing journey too. Is to start to unpackage all of those. And, and I'm. I don't necessarily mean to call ADHD a dysfunction, but it is part of it is. our, it, it's part of our overall, what we're bringing and that rejection sensitivity. I see so many partners paired who have that, that tendency to be very analytical about the, the meaning, the thought process of what did it mean? What did it mean? And just going through all running through all the different possibilities of what did that conversation mean? And just the the internal dialogue is just exhausting after an interaction with a partner. And then the resentment when the partner, like you just said, is like over it and moving on with life and fine and no problem there. When you're just miserably trying to figure out what happened here and what's going on. And the thing is, Oftentimes the meaning that you land on, I I visualize this spinning, like this spinner. We have this show here in the U S called wheel of fortune. Do you guys see that Mm -hmm. over there? Okay. Mm -hmm. I I mentioned spinning the wheel and eventually you land on something and this is what it meant. So you spin the wheel, your brain is going through all these different, what it meant and it lands on something. And that's what you store in your memory of what that interaction meant. This is what this meant. Yes. Yes. The thing is 
a lot of times it's not accurate. So I know that <laughs> on both sides because he'll say, right. you said this. And I think, well, that wasn't what I thought I said. So either I gave the wrong message or the wrong way or you've interpreted it differently. I mean, it is that whole thing of listening and understanding. And it, there's so many ways it goes wrong. Both sides. You're yeah. right. Absolutely both sides. And that's where the neurodiversity piece comes in because autistic minds and autistic folks use language really differently then yes uh, very precisely very you're precisely. from you're, you're from the uk <laughs> so i'll share this analogy with you i don't know if you've ever seen my video on youtube about this but i came and lived in ireland for about a year and a half back in the early uh, 2000s and the english that's spoken there and, and and there in britain where you are you speak english i speak english but we have different ways of using words mm-hmm. and so when i was there i was actually working as a counselor for a university in Dublin. And uh, so I had some Irish students and I almost blundered pretty big time a a few times because we had different uses of some pretty significant words. And it was before I had learned the, the local colloquialisms of some words. And I I almost made some pretty major errors that, that I I eventually learned. And I was just like, Oh my gosh, thank goodness. Mm -hmm. I didn't make a big error there. So it's a similar analogy with neurotypical and neurodiverse language where you're using words and expressions and not even realizing that you're not using them the same way. Yes. Yeah, I I get that. Absolutely. And then you're storing this as memory (laughs) and this is your narrative. Yes. And there's an awful lot of it that's... (laughs) slightly misorientated um yes but how do you dig into that or not even dig into it how do you get over that mountain of miscommunication so so that's what we get into in the the communication program you start to literally unpackage your communication and and in that communication program you become a detective you become a detective about every interaction and you start asking your partner you tell me more what did you mean by that I want to know what you meant by that. You learn not to rehash. You don't go back and rehash the past, but you go back as an investigator and you say, okay, if there's a particularly big event in the past that was bothersome, you go back as a detective. Rehashing never helps because it just repeats. It just, Mm -hmm. you just go over and you just repeat the same conversations (laughs) over and over again. And that never helps. But when you go back as a detective and you say, okay, I know this is what we said before but I want to go back and I want to know more about what you meant by that. Can you try to say this in a way using different words, or can you explain to me what these words mean to you? Because it may be that we're misunderstanding each other and you go back as a detective instead of rehashing and all future interactions, you approach them as a detective and you say, okay, this is what I'm hearing you say. Let me repeat it back to you in my own words. Can you tell me, am am I hearing this right? Am I getting you clearly? Am I understanding you right? One of the things that is most difficult for couples to learn to do in a conversation is to clarify that they've heard their partner clearly before they respond. We, We have a tendency to just respond and react before we actually say, okay, let me make sure I'm understanding you first. So you said you're stuck. I would recommend that you start by clarifying that you're hearing each other, that, that you start with, 
uh, basic clarifying. Let me make sure that I'm hearing you clearly before I respond to you, before I reply. So when I, when I have tried that a little bit, I often find that he gets annoyed by it. He'll say, you're trying to do this counseling stuff on me. It's just irritating. Mm. And why do you ask things like that? And so either I'm not, well, a combination of both <laughs> not doing it the right way, but also a real wariness. We have a real wariness around each other of sort of, of mistrust that things will not be kindly intentioned. I did your uh, narcissist versus mm. autistic course, and I found that really interesting because I'd been really wondering a bit. And I thought, well, it is, it's all good intentioned. But mm. then when we're in the conversation, we don't seem to trust each other. And then it's it's hard to move forward. I suppose this is the thing to actually to, to find something um, positive to, to to bring forward into that and to get over. It is as you say, going around the same wheel again. I don't want to go. We both know we don't want to go around that same wheel again, but it's right. really hard not to get onto it. <laughs> Even okay, if so so I'm going to end with this in response mm-hmm. to what you just said because I think this is a, a mindset shift as well that might be surprising to a lot of people to hear. So in, in approaching, you mentioned the trust and the course that she's talking about is that some people wonder if their partner is more of a narcissist or autistic. And so I have a webinar course about that. That's on my website. If you want to go check that out. But, but what she's saying is is she saw that her husband's intentions are not um, malicious and that he's not intentionally trying to harm her. And, And we don't see that with autistic partners. We do see that with narcissists. So What I recommend in moving forward, and this is maybe a little bit of a mindset shift is that you don't move forward for the goal, for the purpose of preserving the marriage, that you move forward for, for the purpose of your own personal growth, because here's the thing, you're the only person that you have to live the rest of your life with you. So you want to focus on your own growth, your own ability to communicate and interact because you also have a daughter on the spectrum. You have neurodiverse people in your life. So you want to approach this as learning how to do this yourself. Now you want the outcome to be that you learn how to, to improve your interactions and your communications with people who are neurodiverse. The result of that may very well be, and hopefully will be that your marriage is going to improve. But if your focus is on trying to improve your marriage, you're shining the spotlight, not quite in the spot that's going to help you the most. Does that make sense? That does make sense. Yes. Cause it's almost like you're flailing around trying to do, as you say, preserve that, but actually that in itself is not the, the root of it the root of it is one sense of self which, which I have to say has really taken a knocking I think for both of us it's really taken a knocking over the years right so in, you, in you work on how you show up because mm-hmm. you even mentioned how he responds when you try to, to ask the clarifying questions and you really can't ever change how he's going to respond you just continue working on what you do mm. and and he may or may not ever and and you can always say well I'm using what I'm learning <laughs> If he says you're using that therapy stuff on me, well, yeah, I am. Cause I'm learning, <laughs> I'm, I'm working, I'm trying to do it, but then it's his choice. It's his choice to try to learn or not. And you can't ever change what somebody else does. You just work on you yeah, and, and use these skills with your children too. Hmm. 
Yeah, that does make sense. <laughs> I suppose that's actually where I am. I think I need to take the step into step three and get going with that one. And, and do Yeah, I think you would uh, really benefit from it. Well, thank you very much. I really appreciate all that you've done and the, and the, sort of the wider resources that you share. It's quite incredible for people like me who always thought they were on their own little island. And then you see there's a whole world of people who experience the same things or similar things. So thank you for that. Well, you are welcome. And I thank you for being a guest today. I, I think so many people will benefit from the conversation we've had. And if you ever want to hop on again sometime, just come on back. Oh, bless you. Thank you. Thank right. you. All the best. Cheers. All right. Remember to tune in each week for a new episode of your neurodiverse relationship podcast. Now, remember, this is your podcast and I want to talk to you. Share with me your personal experiences with neurodiversity. If you're a professional working with autism, I'd also like to talk to you. To be a guest on the show, the link is in the episode description where you can book a time for a recorded chat with me. Also, be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you won't miss any of the wonderful conversations we're having here and the relationship insights and tips that I have for you. Until next time.